are the lab doctors. I'm Amanda. I'm Dorothy. And I'm Zhao Yong. We are biomedical researchers who realize we still have a lot to learn about science. So why not join us on this quest? Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. On this Today in Science episode, we have a COVID-19 special where we are going to talk about masks, airborne transmission, and panic buying. Just a disclaimer, if our audio sounds kind of weird and fuzzy, it's because the cases in Singapore are rising, so we're actually all at home and recording remotely. So just bear with us as we try to go through this whole thing. Yeah, we are like so responsible. We are social distancing, so we are separate now. Is it? Wear mask Show me your batch. Show me your badge. Who are you representing? (laughs) (laughs) The cadence is like so on. For listeners that don't know, like this is a meme that's going on in Singapore. The who you representing meme. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, let's dive into what we want to discuss today. So our first topic is whether we should wear masks or whether no mask is helpful for the current COVID climate. Okay, so maybe I'll start with Singapore and the guidelines that are in place now. So actually, there has been an updated mask guidelines in Singapore to mitigate the higher risk of infection. Yeah. And this is due to the higher level of transmission, which is attributed to new virus variants. Mm. So the guideline is definitely to still wear a mask, but what is a good mask? Mm -hmm. So one of the factors is bacterial filtration efficiency, which refers to the degree of barrier protection provided by the material or fabric of the mask. So you're probably wondering what does bacteria have to do with this? Mm. But basically, it's how they determine how effective a mask is at preventing bacteria containing droplets from reaching the wearer of the mask. And this is often indicated on the box of the mask that you buy. So this is like for all the disposable masks. Yeah. Medical and surgical masks have a BFE of 95% or more, so that's the gold standard. But reusable masks made of at least two layers of fabric should do the trick as well. Mm -hmm. So the layers should not be see-through when held to the light and preferably be made with different fabrics, including a filter insert. Oh. Okay, so with that out of the way, let's travel to the US, but only in our minds. So I'm not sure if uh, everyone has heard of this new guidance by the CDC in the US saying that fully vaccinated people no longer need masks in most places. Right. I think all the headlines says no masks. Yeah. But actually they still have to wear masks on planes, buses, trains and on public transport and in healthcare settings or if the state, local or businesses rules require them. Mm-hmm. So the crazy thing to me that this is mostly based on an honor system. So apparently US officials officials have dismissed the idea of a vaccine passport as it represents a violation of privacy. True. So the onus is actually on the local governments and the businesses to determine whether to require proof of vaccination or not. Uh-huh. But like not to be cynical or anything, but I don't think I have this level of faith in humans to yeah. like mm-hmm. if they are fully vaccinated, they will wear the yeah. mask. But I don't know about y'all. <laughs> I feel like the thing about vaccine passports, immunity passports, you know, these kind of things that let people travel or move around, the biggest issue, or rather not biggest, but one of the ethical issues that people have is what if a black market for all these immunity passports starts happening, you know? So in Singapore, there is, we have this Trace Together app where your vaccination status is reflected. So, and that's like a government regulated app. I don't think it's very easy to hack into it or 
you know, to come up with something well. <laughs> fake. I, I don't know. Maybe you can come up yeah. with something fake, but I think it's harder to hack yeah. into the app to change your vaccination status. So Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. There's actually a lot of ethics besides that also because what about the people who cannot receive the vaccine? Oh, like true. if I have a history of anaphylaxis or I'm immunocompromised oh. or in one of those categories that are not eligible for the vaccine, right, then right, does right. that mean I can't move around? So there's a lot of ethics with that as well. Right. But actually one of the biggest reasons for this rule change in the US was because of vaccination. Uh-huh. So this number seemed crazy to me. I don't know if you know this, but considering the state of vaccination rollouts and vaccination rates differing so much all over the world. Yeah. But as of 19th of May, around 37% of the population in the US are fully vaccinated and 69% of adults over 18 have actually received their first jab. Mm. Okay. So if you're curious, you can actually do a Google search on vaccination numbers and the disparity between countries is super crazy. Yep, yeah. Yep. So anyway, yeah. back to the mask versus no mask. The guideline change is also meant to serve as an incentive mm-hmm. to get more people vaccinated. Right. So, but here's the thing. You can still get infected with COVID yeah. even if you are vaccinated. Yeah. If you remember our vaccine episode, the vaccine is to prevent symptomatic or severe disease. Yeah. Mm. So sure enough, even fully vaccinated people have been infected with COVID and we've heard reports of this all over the world. Yeah. Furthermore, what about reaching herd immunity? It's hard to say when a population will reach herd immunity or what's the magic number in terms of percentage, especially with the emergence of new variants and uncertainty on how long immunity lasts and also the fact that no vaccine is 100% effective. So maybe it's just me being conservative, but I don't think people should stop wearing masks. Mm, Yeah. But that's my opinion. I think the idea of some form of protection is better than none would still work. Mm. Yeah. Even if it's 1%, that's like 1% or 1 million. It's a lot or so. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think another thing that they brought up with why they chose to have this guideline change was because apparently vaccinated people are less likely to be super spreaders. Mm. But still, I mean, you can still spread. That's the bottom line. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I don't know if getting vaccinated makes you have like this complacency or false sense of security. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. As in, I feel like sometimes people joke about it. Oh, I'm vaccinated, so it's fine. But actually, it's not really fine yet at this point. I I think, to be honest, Mm -hmm. I was a little bit more complacent. But Mm -hmm. that was for the the older COVID strain. I feel like for the new variant, it's a bit more uncertain and scary and I'm like a bit scared now. To be cautious is better than, I guess, not being cautious at all. Yeah. Mm. I'm a highly risk-averse person, so my policies are always (laughs) maximum. Well, speaking of conservative, actually Singapore's Ministry of Health recently introduced N95 masks in front-facing healthcare workers, Mm -hmm. so in hospital settings. Which prompts the question, is the coronavirus transmission now airborne? Right. I completely missed the segue for some yeah, I was like, oh my god, that was such a good segue. <laughs> Even though it was set up so nicely. <laughs> um, to give a bit of a history about airborne versus droplet based transmissions. Firstly, this airborne versus droplet argument has been going on since the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing about it is there's not really recent, but like throughout the entire pandemic, there has been many events that show spreading through distances greater than two meters or six feet. And it's under very preventable circumstances. So let's say like it's not the normal people coughing onto you or people coughing 
onto a surface and you touch the surface, which is what we more or less have been taught yeah. or conditioned to, to believe, right? Yeah. So through these events and more evidence, more recently, WHO, the CDC, and even Singapore's Ministry of Health's Director of Medical Services, Prof Kenneth Mark, have addressed that aerosol transmission is a very high possibility and most likely this transmission is possible. Mm-hmm. And so I think to answer Dorothy's question a bit on what exactly is airborne versus droplet. So there are different types of transmissions. Firstly, it is inhalation of air carrying very fine droplets or aerosol particles that contain the infectious virus. Hmm. So the risk is greatest when you're within one to two meters or three to six feet of an infectious source. The next one is the one where viruses can be deposited onto you directly from an infectious individual. So let's say a person coughs onto you. Disgusting. It happens. <laughs> uh, and then um, the last one, which actually more recent evidence has shown it's most likely the least responsible for the spread of COVID oh. is the one where you touch surfaces that have infected material and then touching your face, your eyes, your nose, your mouth mm-hmm. uh, with these infected materials. Well, I'm quite surprised about this because, you know, there was always those reports about not opening your mail or making sure to disinfect all your mail before you... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As in, that's why there's quite a lot of backlash on this failure to recognize that there is a possibility of aerosol transmissions. But mm. I don't think we want to get into that because we can only understand or change our, you know, policies based on what evidence we know now. Yeah, yeah so, moving forward. Yeah, like so moving forward is just something that, yeah, something that we need to change our policies and evolve with the pandemic, you know? Yeah. So the thing about all these three modes of transmission is that because we still don't know what is the infectious dose of SARS-CoV-2, and it's very hard to determine now, especially because there are increasing number of variants that are out there. So mm. the most important part is still we should have measures that kind of counter all of these three mm. different methods of transmissions. Uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how are aerosols and droplets different, right? Yeah. In fact, they aren't exactly different. They are actually part of the same continuity. So droplets are just much larger sized versions of aerosols. Okay, got it. So they are generated through the same mechanism, which is us breathing out. Mm. And so depending on different people, there's like, you know, different ability to generate aerosols and like droplets because you know all our respiratory systems are very different but the point is we can generate all of this just through breathing there is you know evidence for more like if you have heavier breathing because of exercise or singing then of course you will be generating more of these through exhalation so the biggest thing that we need to take note for aerosol related spreads is that the risk of infection decreases with distance and also time after exhalation so the two main factors that help airborne spread is staying within an enclosed space with inadequate ventilation. So even opening a window reduces your risk of getting infected through aerosol by quite a significant amount. Mm. Yeah, and then the next thing is also whether or not there is activities that induce increased exhalation, like I mentioned just now. So like exercising, shouting or singing. So please don't scold people, I guess, (laughs) and be kind and nice to everyone. (laughs) And don't exercise. Exercising is apparently bad for no you. No exercise <laughs> with distance. We can't. Okay, yes. Yes, and exercise space. safely. Yes, in open an open space. space. Good exactly. ventilation. Yeah. 
So what we know now is that even though there is this potential for aerosol spread, what measures that we have so far does help. So physical distancing, you know, increasing the distance between you and another person naturally decreases the risk of you receiving a higher infectious dose. Yeah. Um, wearing a mask also prevents, you know, bigger droplets from coming out of your mouth. It also prevents some form of aerosol. But like what Amanda said, we should be wearing, you know, more proper masks. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And now it's just another thing that we need to take note of, which is adequate ventilation and also avoiding crowded indoor spaces as much as possible. Yeah. So I guess speaking about, I guess, particular aerosol-based news, <laughs> there are also <laughs> other things in recent Singaporean news, like the panic buying that's happening again. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so because Singapore is hitting its second wave, sadly, yep. <laughs> some people have gone again to the supermarkets to buy things. Yep. I do not understand. <laughs> so because we don't understand, we had to do some readings. And actually, it's quite interesting. I think in the first, when, when COVID first started, like people have already talked about panic buying and the psychology behind it. And so one of the papers I found, actually, there was a research study on this, like a legit paper. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Um, they listed, yeah, it's quite cool. They talk about four different points on why there is panic buying. So the first one is perception. And they split it into two sub points, perception of threats as well as scarcity. Mm -hmm. So perceived threats would mean like you would think that the virus is scary or this outbreak is scary or, you know, whatever threat, it can be like a a tsunami or an earthquake or typhoon, whatever. You don't want to go out too many times to get exposed. Right, right, right. Okay. Therefore, like you want to just buy things in one shot. Right. But of course, if you think about it logically, it's counterproductive because you're stuck in the queue mm-hmm. for longer periods of time with tons of people. So I think... Especially if you go the day before the restrictions kick in, yeah. which is when people were going. Yeah. I mean, the supermarkets were going to remain open, right? I... And it is an indoor space with inadequate yes. ventilation. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> I mean, to me, it's like if you really want to panic by... Buy it on an online platform, it would make (laughs) a little bit more sense. And the second perception is perception of scarcity. Right. So this this means that you think that the availability of certain products will be affected. And I guess this idea of thinking that the supply chain of certain products will be affected is easy to understand because, for example, you would hoard masks because you know that this is essential. But to me, it's like, why would people hoard toilet paper and magini? (laughs) That's why I don't understand. I still don't get the toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) There's always water. (laughs) I mean, I I still don't really get that, but okay. And also there's anticipated regret. So this idea is quite interesting. It means that if you didn't manage to hoard it or if you didn't manage to get your hand on it and later found out that you needed it, you would be like, ah, why didn't I get it? Why didn't I go and buy it? So that's the idea behind percepting of things. And the second point is the fear of the unknown. And this is the inability to predict the outcome of the outbreak. So you don't know when this COVID will end. Like maybe now the government say, oh, this is heightened alert uh, for a month. But you don't know if they're going to extend this for another month. You don't know if they're going to go into a complete circuit breaker. So therefore, people would want to go and buy stuff. Right. The third one is coping behavior. So because there's so much uncertainty, people panic by to help gain control of the situation. The things you can do to gain control of the situation has to be, number one, doable. Mm -hmm. Uh Something you can control. 
Yeah. And secondly, it would result in a more desirable trait. Is this essentially retail therapy? Yeah. <laughs> I guess something like that. to make yourself feel better. Yeah, you make yourself feel like you have gained control of something mm, that yeah. you're not in control of. Definitely. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yes. And, but the idea of like uh, it being a more desirable trait, right, will only apply to an individual because you feel more secure. Okay. But definitely, if you panic buy, if you start hoarding stuff, it's not going to benefit the society because you are depleting supplies so rapidly. And yeah, this is just going to be counterproductive. Mm. So the last point is social factors. So firstly, social influence. In, and I think it's extremely relevant in today's day and age when, you know, maybe compared to like 2003 when we had the first form of SARS. Mm-hmm. So when you look at social media, it helps in spreading the news and the government can use this platform to advise its citizens on what to do. However, very often information are abused or falsified from the WhatsApp chain messages. Fake news. <laughs> Forwarded many times. Yes. So people can claim that stocks are running low and you know people can take pictures of the toilet rolls going down and they're not being replenished fast enough and they'll be like, oh, because the stock is low. And all these are you know false information as right. especially since we have been through for the first phase you know that at least in Singapore, I, I can say that, you know, the government has assured us that there's enough supply. Right. So the normative influence is something related as well. This means that something that isn't normal, usually, mm-hmm. like panic buying, now becomes normal and acceptable because many people are doing. Mm. Yeah. So you see people go and buy and you also go and buy. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also... <laughs> Yes, observational learning. So people watch what others do, learn, and then they use the sources of information that they get from here and there to decide what they want to do. And in the case of a disease outbreak and misinformation, people would think that panic buying is the way to go. Right, basically herd mentality. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The next social factor is social trust. So this is trusting in both the government and the community. Why the government? Because the government is the one who has the power to disseminate information, regulate the press, (laughs) provide relief and maintain order. And the second one is community. This is having a community that is helpful, thinking about each other as compared to being individualistic. Mm. So when you have a higher level of trust in the community as well as the government, this will mean that people will be more considerate, they won't be hoarding supplies, etc. And they won't be individualists. And therefore, you would have less panic buying. Yeah, so this is quite interesting because research was done to understand why people act in certain ways and Mm -hmm. it helps the government body plan ahead on how to mitigate future incidents from happening. Right. Yeah, so... I mean, given all these uh-huh. psychological studies, I think uh-huh. I can empathize a little bit more. Definitely, same. But there are still things I don't understand. Like, <laughs> yep. I mean, for the first wave, you know, I would understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been quite a while since we had such a major pandemic. I mean, so the first SARS wasn't even so bad and mm-hmm. then bird flu is like here and there. Right. But when you talk about the second wave, is you, you've been through the first one. Like, you know how things are like. Exactly. So I, I think I think it's, it's good that there are less people For at sure. the supermarket. Mm. That's what I heard. Yeah. But like, there is still 
a group yeah. that panic buys. And I mean, I, I feel like for me, I, I guess from what you said, it's actually very interesting because I was thinking, is that why we don't do these things? It's because we kind of understand, you know, there's less of this fear of the unknown. There's less of this perceived threat and scarcity on our part because we are scientists and we are more in tune with the science and the disease and yeah. how it spreads. And then we know how to find proper information like from we different have channels. And that's why privilege we... of knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, and that's why it's easier for us to be like, oh, don't need to be so scared, you know? It's mm. just something that we need to do to get it under control. But for the lay person, then maybe it's a bit harder because it's just something that they don't understand. And then the information that they trust is the WhatsApp forwarder messages. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, I agree, I agree. I think the level yeah. of education you have and the background you come from would play a role as yeah. well. And also yeah. the place that you get your news from. Yes. Yeah. But I was thinking actually like I didn't even know that panic buying exists. Like mm-hmm. like in the when the pandemic first hit, it didn't even cross my mind that I need to stock up on supplies. And yeah. w- where did this idea of having to hoard come about? Like I think it's also partially like you see other countries doing certain things, you know, that was the the prevailing theory for the first time around when Hong Kong and Taiwan were going into their lockdowns and then their people were panic buying. So when we were going into our lockdowns, maybe that's why the population in general were like, okay, we need to buy. But yeah, Mm -hmm. the evidence kind of suggests against it to me. And so... I mean, to be honest, I have to say we are very privileged to be able to, you know, not worry about these kind of things. Whereas other people, even in Singapore, might not be as privileged. Yeah. And so, yeah, we shouldn't judge them, even though I judge almost everything. No, you shouldn't. (laughs) We, yeah, I definitely recognize that. Exactly. We are privileged. Even in a country that the government, like, constantly assures that there will be no lack. That's a privilege Mm. in itself to know that. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay, so I guess to summarize, no matter what stage of lockdown you're in or if you're not even in lockdown, we definitely think that everyone should get vaccinated and you should still wear a mask whether you are vaccinated or not. And uh, just don't be complacent and be careful. So try to avoid crowded areas and not well-ventilated places and social distance. So all these things as before still work now. And don't hoard. (laughs) There's enough to go around. (laughs) Yep. And as usual, follow us on Spotify and subscribe to our YouTube channel. A like and a comment would help us a lot. You can also follow us on our social media, Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. Feel free to DM us any questions. Alternatively, you can email us at thelabdoctors at gmail.com. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. We would really appreciate it. Stay safe. Stay safe. Bye-bye.